finally invited me. I'm, I've pr- been promoted to man from boy, so that's good. Moving up in the world, that's good. All right. Well, I am from Emmanuel Bible Church, and yes, it's the Emmanuel Bible Church that's been in the news lately. I don't know if you've heard, but um, I don't want to talk about it now, so you guys, can, <laughs> you guys can ask me about it later. More important things to talk about. Um, it's a joy to be here. Um, it's, it's sad that Tom Leak is not here tonight. I heard he's maybe coming tomorrow if he feels great. Um, I, I really look up to him. I'm so thankful for him. I've been praying for him, and uh, I kind of wish he was speaking all four sessions. Um, that would be a much better, um, much better than what we're going to do this week. But uh, I'm very thankful for the invitation to come and preach. Uh, I love to preach. Um, the program is actually not updated. It says that I'm the college director at Emmanuel Bible Church. I've just recently become uh, the evangelism pastor, and this is last year. And as the evangelism pastor, I'm going to be talking about evangelism tonight. So brace yourselves on that. Um, let me start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful to you. Because you are glorious, you're eternal, you are perfect in every way, you're omnipotent, you're omnipresent, you're omniscient, you know all things, you know all things inside of our hearts, every person in this room, you know our hearts better than we even know ourselves, and um, we know that what's in our hearts is, is not good, and yet... For a reason that brings you glory. You've made yourself known to us and and you've opened up our eyes to see the truth. And we are just so thankful to you because there is no one worth worshiping. There is no one worth living for other than you. So we're thankful that you've called us. You've called us to be your servants. As we just sang, you called us to give our entire lives to you. This is not just some of our life. It's not just our life on Sunday. It's our life every single day of the week. Every single thing we do is is an act of worship towards you. And we're thankful for that reminder. We're thankful for the fact that your word guides us, helps us, sustains us, nurtures us. We're thankful for um, Hope Bible Church and their desire to grow and to grow in knowledge of your word. And everything centered around your word at this wonderful church. Thank you for Tom Leake and his leadership. You've really blessed this man. You've blessed us with him. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his ministry. We pray that you would continue that for us so that we can have him for a lot longer. Lord, I thank you for his example of suffering well and being a great example and preaching today even though he doesn't feel his best. I just thank you for all these uh, wonderful things, wonderful blessings. Pray for us this weekend. We would uh, at least get a tiny picture of what it means to be a man from your word, that we would uh, grow in our our love for uh, your word, for theology, for doctrine, but also for the lost. Sometimes that's neglected. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It wasn't too long ago that a news anchor named Brian Williams was caught in a big lie. You guys heard about this? Um, I guess uh, a few years earlier, he had been on a helicopter in Iraq, 
And when he landed, he found out that uh, a helicopter an hour ahead of his had been shot at. And perhaps the zeal of the moment or um, maybe the opportunity to, to be seen as a, something more important, he, he told a story. And every time he would tell the story over the next few years, it seemed like the helicopter in front of him was getting closer and closer. It went from one hour ahead to about 50 minutes ahead the next time he told the story. Then he told the story again, and it was 30 minutes ahead. Then he told the story again, and now it was 10 minutes ahead. And finally he told the story again, and now he sees the helicopter getting shot at in front of him. And what's crazy is, eventually, he was in the helicopter they got shot at. <laughs> then he even described with detail the young man who was in, on the ground with a bazooka pointed at his helicopter. And you're like, whoa. Eventually he got caught. I guess he was introduced as a Iraq war hero somewhere at a baseball game, I think, and the, an actual war hero who was there w- was mad about it, and he, so he told everybody this is not true. Eventually, his balloon popped, and we know that he got demoted. Now he's back, I guess. I guess he got forgiven, and he's back. But he went through a really hard time for a while. And there's a sense in which we can feel what he feels, right? Because a lot of us, you know, we may catch a fish that's probably as big as a Tic Tac, right? But then... Once we tell the story, more and more, we can't stretch our arms far enough to say how big this fish actually was. We all love embellishing stories, right? We all love telling stories uh, that make us seem great, make us seem wonderful, make, make it unbelievable. We all love to do this because we want to be, we wanna be uh, you know, we want to seem exciting in people's eyes. Now, let me tell you this. There's a story that you actually experienced that no matter how you tell it, no matter how exciting you make it sound, no matter how vast you can make it, that you can never exaggerate it. It's the story of your conversion. You were dead, not just mostly dead like in the movies. You were completely dead. Did nothing, you could do nothing. You couldn't move spiritually speaking. You didn't have a heart, you didn't have a heart rate, you didn't have anything. You were just dead. You couldn't breathe. And God gave you life cause you to be born again. And, and so we say, uh, you know, Romans, Romans 3.23, for all of a sudden they fall short of the glory of God. How short do you fall from the glory of God? It's an eternal vastness between you and God. God's holy and perfect and eternal. And we are, what, mortal? We are sinful. We are just the, in the complete opposite extreme. And there's no way you can over-exaggerate your salvation, is there? And yet for some reason, for some reason, we are tempted to not talk about that story. We'll talk about the fish, but we won't talk about an even more incredible story that doesn't even compare. And as we just sang, we face a task unfinished. There are dying souls all around you. I don't want to make you feel guilty, but maybe that's my job as an evangelism pastor, right? Um, there's dying souls all around us. And the only one, the only person with the message is you. Everybody's sovereignly placed in a circle God sovereignly places us in. Whatever circle it is, your circle of influence, your job, chances are there's no other Christian at your job. 
whether it's your neighborhood, unless you all live together at Hope Bible Church, right? And you all live in the same neighborhood. I don't want to live by Tom Lake, so maybe everybody lives there. But chances are you may be the only Christian or one of only few Christians in your neighborhood. God has sovereignly called you personally to go and knock on the door, introduce yourself, find out the person's name, maybe after years, find out the person's name and share the gospel with them. That's what we're called to do. You are called to be a watchman. So turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. Steve gave us one verse to preach for four people. Um, And so what we decided to do is we'll take the words we said and think of a passage and we'll preach that passage. And when I thought of being alert, when I thought of being watchful, as as the word is translated from the Greek, being alert, being watchful, being attentive to to the things around you, be on guard, I couldn't help. My mind went straight to Ezekiel chapter 3. So I want to talk about Ezekiel here. You can turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. Look at verse 16. It says this. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die. And you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Remember where I was when I first read these words? I was in Italy. I grew up in Italy as a missionary kid, and I uh, came back when I was 13, and uh, after high school, I was, didn't know what to do with my life. I was depressed. My parents had been living a divorced life, even though technically they weren't divorced. My mom kept moving with us, and it just wasn't a very uh, normal lifestyle, I guess. Uh, so I was very depressed. I was into sports, and... Uh, I heard about this Bible school in Italy. I had a soccer offer to go to Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I grew up in Italy. I didn't know what Oklahoma was, and I definitely didn't know what a Wesleyan was, but that was very appealing to me. But then there was this opportunity to go to a Bible school where you'd read the entire Bible in 10 weeks, and you'd do evangelism on the streets in Italy. And maybe it was because I knew I was going to get to eat a lot of pizza and pasta, but I decided to go to Italy and do this Bible school. And the Lord changed my life. A week before the Bible school started, John MacArthur was preaching at a conference in Italy. You know, th- literally a week before the Bible school started, he talked about God's sovereignty, and I was just mesmerized by this God I had never really cared, nothing, wasn't listening about, because I'm sure I had been preached about God's sovereignty, but it was just something that week. God was working on my heart. And, and it was the perfect preparation to then read the Bible the next the, you know, the next week, I was going to start reading Genesis to Revelation in 10 weeks, which is decently fast. And I just saw God's sovereignty everywhere. I couldn't, couldn't help but see God's sovereignty in all things. I, got, I remember getting to Matthew, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at the genealogy of Jesus, the first chapter of Matthew. I'm excited. I'm finally in Matthew, right? 
And there is Rahab's name, and I, I just started weeping because I realized God sovereignly orchestrated those spies, and I probably heard this in Sunday school, but I, again, I wasn't paying attention. Here, here, here she is, and she's a prostitute, not a Jew. Now she's in Jesus' line, and God orchestrated all these things to bring her to salvation and bring her in Jesus' line. I was just astonished by God's sovereignty. So this school really changed my life. It helped me see my life. I said, thank you for my parents' divorce at this point because I wouldn't be here today. I'm like looking at everything differently. I'm looking at everything revolves around God, not me. And it was just mind-blowing. But then I started sharing the gospel with people in Italy. And this was the other thing God did. I, I started talking to people and, and I'd never really walked up to somebody to share the gospel with them. And here I am asking these Roman Catholics who are supposed to know at least a little bit about the Bible and they knew nothing. They didn't even know. They thought they were saved because they were baptized. They didn't have anything else to say. I just went to Italy a month, you know, a year ago and I'm starting to talk to, about the gospel with people and they're shaking Oh, my, where's my son? And he's like, he knows exactly where his son is. They had no desire to talk. And I'm like, just overwhelmed as an 18-year-old seeing these people and their reaction to the gospel that I can't get enough of sharing. I got to share. And this verse is, is one of the main ones God used to transform my mind. Because what I realized was that I wasn't being faithful. 18 years went by in my life where I had countless opportunities for people who came in my life and, and, and were there for sometimes months, sometimes years at a time, and never once did I warn them about the fact that they're going to hell for eternity. And I see this verse, and I'm like, this is crazy. This is absolutely insane. How could I have missed this? So in this passage, we're going to see a few truths about God. And, and very simply, God calls, God picks his messenger, we'll say. God picks his messenger. God prepares the message. And God plans the method. God picks his messenger. God prepares the message. And God plans the method that we use for evangelism. The first thing is very clear. Very good. God picks his messenger. In fact, in verse 16, it's very clear. He says, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. And this word watchman is, is somebody who's on a tower. And he's looking out into the distance, making sure that there's no enemies who are going to come and do what? Destroy his town. This is the most important job, perhaps, in a town back then with the towers. They have to make sure nobody's coming to hurt their family, their friends, their neighbors, their kingdom, the, the entire kingdom. This is such an important job. In fact, a lot of the movies we watch were war back in the day. There's always some, some person who's supposed to be vigilant, but he's sleeping. Or he's just not paying attention. He gets an air on the chest, therefore we have a movie. Without this guy not paying attention, we wouldn't have a movie, right? It's a very important job. And yet, movies love to make fun of this poor guy. You're called to be a watchman. And the prophet's call was a very specific call. Only one man sometimes had this job. Uh, several men, perhaps, throughout the country. Uh, but it wasn't a job that was very, given to everybody. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, um, 
Ezekiel's walking through what God talked, told him. And he says, then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak to you. He says, as he spoke to me, the spirit entered me. And he set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, and I'm sending you to them, who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. This is not an easy task. And in, in chapter 3, verse 4, it's, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling what's going to happen. God already tells them the result of what he's going to do for the next years of his life. Look at the results. Look at the fruit from his ministry. He already tells them before he even begins. In verse 4, he says, Then he said to me, of chapter 3, look at this, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. And then he says this, for you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel. <coughs> He's not going to an unreached people group. He's going to the people that speak his own language. Nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet, the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. What did he just tell him? He's going to go, he's going to give his entire life to preach the truth of God, and no one will ever listen to a word he's going to say. That's what he promises here. We just sent a missionary to, to an unreached people group. And, the, and the, the elders over the mission council Approved him and sent him. Obviously, this doesn't happen today, but what if some of the, one of them got a word from the Lord? I don't believe in this. It's, uh, the gifts have ceased. But let's say it would have happened. And Dave Treadwell, one of our elders, got a word from the Lord and it said, Davis will not have a single convert in the country, of, uh, in the country he's going to. What do you think the mission, my missionary friend would have said or thought. I'm not going to waste my time going there. I'm better off going somewhere else. I'm not going to go. That's, that's a Maybe the mission council would say, that's a waste of money. We shouldn't send them there. That's exactly what God tells Ezekiel here. He says, you're going to a place and no one will ever listen to a word that you say. What would you be thinking at this point? Be thinking, ain't no way I'm doing this. And yet, God wants him to be faithful. That's what he's after, his faithfulness. Doesn't matter if anybody ever gets saved. He's calling him to be faithful. The New Testament, the, the, the calling is, is, is much wider. Uh, you, first of all, you think about Paul, and Paul is... Uh, you know, our great, probably the greatest evangelist. 
and he's on the horse, he gets knocked off, and uh, he's just transformed. He goes from killing Christians to becoming one to telling other people to become Christians over, overnight, it seems. He spends three days blind, and Ananias shows up to his house. He doesn't want to really go because he's afraid of Paul. He's going to kill him. But God says, no, I have a plan for this man. He goes, restores his sight. Paul instantly begins to proclaim the gospel. He didn't, wait, he didn't wait till he went to seminary or he studied for a few years or really understood the Old Testament. The next day he got up and went to preach the gospel. Instantly. It says that he immediately he began to preach Jesus in the synagogues. It's an instant thing. 2 Corinthians 5.20, he looks at the people he's writing to in, the, in Corinth and he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. This isn't just for the prophet like it was in the Old Testament. This isn't just for Paul because he knew he was a Pharisee, so he knew the Bible better than most people. No, no, no. He says every single person that becomes a Christian instantly becomes an evangelist. It's not something that happens over years. It's not something that happens six years from now once you get to know your neighbor finally. This, this happens today. Right in the very moment you were instantly saved, you became an instant evangelist. Salvation is not a process. Salvation is instantaneous. Justification is. It's instantaneous. The minute you became a Christian is the minute you became a preacher of Jesus in that very moment. And this idea of ambassador has a very interesting understanding because, because especially in the time where Rome was king, you know, Rome was ruling. Rome was in the business of destroying towns, Right? He would, they, would, they, would, they would send an ambassador forward to go live among the people. And this ambassador was supposed to represent Rome, so he was representing Caesar to the people. In fact, the way they treated this ambassador is the way they were going to treat Caesar. If the, man, if the man's head came back in a box, that's what they're saying. I'm, I want to kill Caesar. And Rome would go and destroy everybody, right? At least uh, for a little while until they got destroyed. So you have this ambassador. He's, he's representing Rome, and his message is clear. Hey, in a few weeks' time, Rome's coming this way, and you have two choices. Either uh, become a slave of Rome or become a citizen of Rome, a citizen of Rome, depending on what the offer is, or die. That was it. And the ambassador's job was to go warn them, tell them that it's happening, and you can choose what you're going to do before it happens. That's what they were called to do. In the same way, you as an ambassador, you as a watchman, are called to preach a very similar message. Hey, God is coming. Jesus is returning on a white horse. Revelation tells us that his, his white robe will be dipped in blood. He's going to come on a horse with a sword, and he's going to destroy anyone who does not call him Lord. And God calls you to warn people about the fact that that's going to happen. So I ask you this question, are you God's messenger? Did God pick you, personally pick you as a messenger? Now, if you say no to that question, then you're going to spend eternity in hell. And I hope you understand that, because a true Christian has been called to evangelism. And if you say, that's not my job, that's the evangelist's job, that's Pastor Tom Leake's job, that's... You know, whoever, you know, you may think of that that's what they are good at, then you have missed the point of what it means to be a Christian. Because a Christian talks about Jesus. He doesn't just talk about Jesus to his pastor 
in a counseling room. He doesn't just talk about Jesus to his kids, which is wonderful if you do, but he talks about Jesus to anyone and everyone that they have time and the opportunity to talk about Jesus with. So I ask you again, are you God's messenger? Did God pick you to be his messenger? A lot of men and a lot of pastors, they're messengers behind the comfort of the pulpit. But they cower like sissies, as we just sang. They cower like sissies when somebody sits to them next to, next to them on a plane. And I'm like, you're not, a, you're, not a, you're not a faithful preacher. You preach behind this pulpit. You're comfortable. You know there's Christians in the room. You may even share the gospel every Sunday. But when you get on that plane, you cower like a sissy. Like, that's not, that's not a messenger of God. Stop praying for an open seat next to you on a plane. Start praying for an open heart. God chooses you for salvation. It's incredible. I was in tears just a minute ago just thinking, God has chosen me for salvation. But not only that, he then chooses me to be his mouthpiece. That should humble us, scare us even, but it should motivate us. We all want to be citizens of heaven. We all want to have that passport, right? And you get that the minute you become a Christian. But you carry that passport everywhere you go on earth too. You're a citizen of heaven here on earth. You're an alien. You're, you're, not from, you're not of this world. And yet we try to fit into the world. We try to infiltrate and hide in many ways. If you're called by Christ, he calls you. He picks you to be his messenger. Let's keep going. So we saw that God picks his messenger. The question is very, is very important here. What is his message? Because he picks us as his messenger, but the Bible says that he also presents his message. And it's a very specific message. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 16. It says, in verse 17, he says, Son of man, I've appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die. A very simple message for Ezekiel. He had an assignment from God. And that was to go to Israel to warn them about the impending death. It's very simple. He says, when I say to the wicked, you will surely die. Ezekiel said a lot more things. And God says that whenever I say a word to you, you must repeat it verbatim. You can't get cute with it. You've got to share what God has you to share. And God uses prophets all over the Old Testament. You think Nathan wanted to go tell David that he knew that he had committed adultery and killed a man? Nathan, a man, if we're going to talk about what it means to be manly, showed up to the king's house, showed up to the king's throne, and told him exactly what God told him to say. Samuel did it many times especially to Saul. But Saul refused to repent. Eli gets rebuked for not sharing the truth with his sons. We see example after example of prophets who either were bad prophets or were good prophets. And the good prophets were only those who shared exactly what God had them to share. In fact, the Bible says that they should be killed if they said anything different. God did the same thing with Ezekiel here. He says there's a cliff there. People are running towards this cliff. And if you don't warn them, 
then their blood will be on your head. The same thing in the New Testament with Paul. Paul, over and over, just shared the message. He shared the truth of what God told him to share. He didn't hold back. You see Peter over and over again calling people to repentance, telling them that they're going to hell, telling them that they have hard hearts and that they killed Jesus, and he doesn't care because he fears God more than man. And I, I have a feeling sometimes that in our hearts, and I feel this too, that we want to cower away from the message. Think about Ezekiel, okay? Think about him as he's sharing this news with his neighbor, right? He knows his neighbor for many years. God told him to tell, you know, the people around him that they're going to die if they don't repent. If you're Ezekiel, you walk up to somebody, what are you tempted to do? I don't want to say that. Look at all the blessings you get if you repent, right? You can repent because uh, you have uh, more success in, in, you know, in your job. God will bless you. You have a great family relationship because, yeah, you're obviously living a holy life, right? Uh, there's all these other things he could talk about. God told him not to talk about, though. He told him to talk about the fact that that man is going to die if he doesn't repent. I had a sister-in-law sharing the gospel with her and, and my brother-in-law, and I'm sharing, just going through the gospel, and she stops me at some point. Maybe, maybe a little later, she comes to me and she says, Hey, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, but can I give you some advice? It's an atheist lady, okay? Can I give you some advice? You know, I know, you, you know, we're just trying to help you. You know, you talked about hell and sin. and I just want you to know that the way I took that, it wasn't good, you know? So you should, you, you know, you didn't talk about the blessings, you know, and all these other things. And maybe I, maybe I mentioned something, but... She said, you should focus more on, on the good things that can come to you if you do this. And I said, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> we have a legalistic, we have a pragmatist mentality. The great theologian, Twitter theologian, Paul Shirley said this. I just, I just wrote it the other day. I was preparing for this and I said, oh, I got to use this. I got to fit it in somehow. Pragmatism is inherently legalistic. So you have these people who, who, who think that because you did something, this person came to the Lord. Because I, I did this great barbecue event for the neighborhood and people came and, and you know, we shared this feel-good message that, that these people came to know Christ because of it. So that's the way you're supposed to do evangelism. A few years back, a man, man used an example. He said, he said that he found out that a lady had given her life to Jesus because her husband died on 9-11. So you're like, okay, pragmatism, consistent pragmatism would say, let's go, you know, fly planes into people's buildings so that God can use it. That's the silly, that's so silly. So many people change the message. And I don't have to tell you, I'm sure you know, Jesus talked more about hell than heaven. I have like 30 verses here on hell. Do people actually believe in hell? Do we believe in hell in here? There's people burning right now in hell, and they're gonna, it's never going to end. The, where the worm never dies. It's, it's, it's eternal. It's going to keep going forever and ever. And your neighbor, whom you've never talked to, is about to die, 
And could I even tonight, as you're here in this men's retreat, and you've never shared Jesus with him, and he's going to go to hell for eternity. He's going to deserve every second of it, but he's going to go to hell. Do you believe in it? Sometimes I feel like we don't really believe in it. We got to leave it out of our message. Well, we can't talk about sin. Let's focus on the positive. If we did believe in hell, there would be a lot more urgency. There'd be a lot more urgency. So, you know, when I think of, of this, I think of false religions. I, I went to a community college not too long ago, and I walked up to, uh, I walked up, you know, ready to share the gospel, and here was a guy with an open Bible talking to a student sitting. So I was like, oh, let me go listen in. And he was telling them that, you know, God is a, is a mother. I was like, oh, okay. I'd heard of this before, you know. And so he's in Revelation somewhere where it says, the spirit and the bride say come, and obviously the bride is God, right? It has to be. And I'm like, yeah, no, okay. So I interject, and, and we scare the kid away, which was my goal, and so I start talking to this. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good go-to move if you ever are in that mood. And so I'm, I'm, you know, we're talking a little bit. It's, you know, at this point in my, in my life, I've just decided to just get right to the gospel, right? So I'm, my point with a false religion is, tell me how to get to heaven, right? I'm going to die today, right? I could die today. I'm not going to. I could. Uh, hope, I mean, I'm ready. Uh, I could die right now. Tell me what I have to do to be saved. And like, like a deer in headlights, this guy's looking at me. I'm like, hey, buddy, you're on this campus to do What? Hopefully you're, you got the Bible. Hopefully you know how to lead people to be saved. That's what it all, that's what it all comes down to. We're going to live 70 years on this earth, but we're going to live eternally. So tell me, how do I get to heaven? Deer in headlights. So finally, I push him. And he says, you've got to take the Passover. It's like, well, okay. So I was committed, so I said, okay, I'll do it right now. Give me the Passover. It's not that easy. I said, okay, what do I have to do? He goes, uh, you got to take it down in my church. It's about 30 minutes away. At this point, I was really committed, so I said, okay, let's get in the car. Let's go. Take me. To, I want to be saved. I, hopefully, I don't die on the way. Hopefully, you, we get there, but give me this Passover. He's like, ah, it's not that easy. Uh, it's only once a year. I was like, oh, okay. I said, when? April 8th. He's like, oh, that's kind of random. How'd you come up with that number? <laughs> So, so he said, uh, he said, God told me. I was like, okay. So you told me there's 2.7 million of you. Is that right? He's like, yeah. So I said, if God told you audibly, he goes, yeah. So I said, okay, then how do you know that? I mean, did you tell everybody else or did they tell you or how does it work? No, we all heard at the same time. And I was like, okay, did you guys all get in a room, a men's retreat or a women's retreat, or whatever, and all stand in a circle. And then you said, one, two, three, April 8th. And everybody knew. He's like, no, and then it dawned on me. I realized what he was saying. That God is a woman who walks around, who's alive in Korea, and she tells them April 8th. She probably on a screen or tweets it out or whatever it is. April 8th is the day this year. And my heart broke for him, and come to, I'm kind of joking now, but, um, but I said, buddy, that's not salvation. You know, and I went into workspace and, and all that, but it was just clear. 
He cannot, he does not know how to be saved. Salvation is a process that I can't even begin until next April 8th. He couldn't tell me to do anything. What was I supposed to do with my life? When he realized that there are only 144,000 who go to heaven in their religion, it's a whole different religion, but that 144,000 is in it as well, it was almost like he was depressed. I said, there's 2.7 million of you. Why do you how do you know? And it was like it was a mind-blowing thing to him. He didn't realize he's not, there's a good chance he's not. I mean, percentage-wise, how can you be one of the 144,000? There's no salvation right now. You know, you think about Mormons. Many Mormons have come to my door over the years. At one time in California, where I'd get a Mormon and his friend, then the, the, the next week, the friend would leave, the, this guy became the leader, and then somebody else came there, like training with me, I guess. I don't know what they were doing. Uh, and so here they are coming. And, and there was even a couple girls who came to our door once. And it was crazy to see them try to win us over. They just smiled. They hugged my wife. They were just going through all these incredible things about, you know, how much joy you'll have with your family and all these. But they never talked about the crazy things they believe. But archaeology, Satan, you know, racism and multiple wives and all these crazy things that they believe in their doctrine. They never mentioned that once. They only gave us hugs and kisses, right? That's their mentality. No, you spoon feed people. You spoon feed them. You make them dependent. You make them excited about their family. You show cute videos about, you know, I'm a Mormon and I'm normal and the mom with the kids, right? They, they, have you ever seen those commercials? They, they try to win you over over the years. I had one friend, and I'm talking too much now. There's just so many good stories. No, I had one friend and who was our, he was our greeter in our ministry, and we thought he was really solid. And in our young adult ministry, which is pretty large, and, and there was these guys who walked in, and I don't even know if I noticed them. And he greeted them, he sat by them, he did his job, right? They invited him to a Bible study. And so he, he starts this Bible study with them. He's just doing his job. He's being kind to visitors at our church, right? Well, it starts a two-year process where the first year, he, he's talking with them about uh, you know, the parables, and oh man, they're so hard to understand, and oh, you have to, they connect, and look at the pearl, and what is the pearl, and all these incredible things, and, and so a year goes by, and he doesn't know anything about this religion, but he's curious now, and he's friends with these guys now, they care about him, they ask him how he's doing, in the second year, he starts, they got into a little deeper, start hearing a little bit about the doctrine, and, and, and obviously we're, we're aware of this, and now we're begging him to come out of this. And he's sitting in my office, and we're walking through what this process is, and he said that, well, next year is when they're really going to get into the, the real doctrine. And he says, eventually, in fact, at the end of year three, that's when you find out who, who God is, and it's another person who walks around in Korea probably, right? And you're like, three years went by, this guy wasted his life, He's drawn in through emotions. There's no truth to this thing. They're just tricking a person into being saved, into their religion. It's exactly what we're tempted to do. Bring people to church, be sweet to them, be kind to them. And then eventually, hopefully, we'll share the gospel with them. It's unacceptable. That's not the way salvation works. Salvation works like you can be saved right now. This is not something that will happen next year. 
This should happen when, you're, when you don't feel like sinning anymore, when there's greater consequences. You know, it doesn't happen on your deathbed. You're not even guaranteed to have a deathbed. This happens now. Salvation happens now. The thief on the cross was saved now. Zacchaeus was saved this very day, the Bible says. Today, salvation has come to this house. The Ethiopian eunuch wasn't saved. He became saved in an instant. Every example of salvation in the Bible happens today. There's no time for tomorrow. Behold, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. God doesn't need our help in saving people. We don't have to get cute with the message. God picks his message. It's very clear. And what we have to do is share it exactly the way he wanted us to. We don't get to get cute with it. We don't get to introduce hell a year from now. We don't get to tell people that they must turn from their sin a year from now. They need to do that today. Today is the day of salvation. We're saved from hell. We're not saved from a bad life. We're not saved from, you know, being depressed. We're not saved from our kids not loving us enough or our wife being mad at us. We're saved from hell for eternity. Paul is desperate for people's salvation. He says, I wish I could myself be accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He understood hell. He was willing to go there for the sake of his fellow Jews. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This isn't, oh, it'd be really nice if you did it. Oh, please, pretty please. This is, I'm begging you, give your life to Jesus right now. When is the last time you begged somebody to be saved? And the goal was always repentance here. That's what drove Jonah insane. You know why? Because he hated Nineveh. He knew God would save them. He didn't want God to save them. It's the Westboro Baptist mentality. They came to our church one year. And literally, they, they say something like, your pastors are whores on the signs. And here I am, I'm a pastor, I'm waiting to talk to them, but they don't want to talk to me because they don't care. They just want to, you know, sue people and get money. That's all they care about. It's not love. We're called to rescue people from hell. That was the job of the, evangel- of the evangelist, of the watchman. God is so patient. God gives time to repent. So we saw God's, God picks his messenger God prepares his message. He picks it. We can't change it. But he also has a mission. He has a method that he chooses. And he's, he doesn't need us in any way, shape, or form. The proof is the thief on the cross, right? thief on the cross is hurling insults at Jesus. Both of them are, the Bible tells us. And all of a sudden, something changes. And you're like, what changed? Well, God gave him a new heart instantly. You didn't need a preacher. You had Jesus right beside him, but Jesus reached into his heart of stone, pulled it out, gave him a heart of flesh, gave him a love for Jesus. He ends up rebuking the crowd, and instantly he asks Jesus to go into his kingdom. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's completely God's work. And yet, his means, or his method, is to use me and you and our lips. That's why we must preach his message. Can't come up with our own message. He didn't pick you to pick out your own message. You're not smart enough. I come up with crazy things when I think about my own things. Look at what he says. His method is faithfulness. That's it. It's your faithfulness. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way. 
that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now look at the opposite. Yet, if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die from his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. So you got a person and God has given you a message to give that person. There's two responses that person can have to the message. Either he believes and repents or he doesn't believe and doesn't repent. What's fascinating though is this, is that in both scenarios, that person will still die in his iniquity. Whether he rejects it or never hears about it, that person's still going to die in his iniquity. Now think about the implications of that. That means that if your neighbor never hears about Jesus, they're still going to go to hell. And now if, if you tell them about Jesus and they reject it, they're still going to go to hell. The result has nothing to do with us. Right? Do you guys understand that? I get oh, this question all the time, I share, especially with Catholics. I don't know what it is about Catholics. Perhaps there's a theological connection here. I'm talking to somebody, eventually it dawns on them. What about the African who's never heard about Jesus? Or wherever he's from. They say African, so in a tribe. And I say, what happens to that person? He's never heard about Jesus. Their destination is the same as somebody who has heard about Jesus many times. Why? Because you don't go to hell for rejecting Jesus. Or else, why why do we send mission trips? Why do we send missionaries? Why do we send a guy to an unreached people group? It's the worst thing we can do if it's rejecting Jesus that causes them to go to hell. What we should do is go go send wall-building teams. Send whoever to kill them all. They're better off dead than hearing about Jesus at that point. But that's not why people go to hell. The Bible in Romans 1 says that they are without excuse. The reason is because they reject God and they love sin. They worship the creation rather than the creator. It all comes down to God performing this act of salvation, but us being faithful and proclaiming the message. And Ezekiel was told that if he did not preach faithfully, that the blood of those he did not warn would be on his head. And Ezekiel had a big calling. He was supposed to preach the truth anytime he had the chance. There's a sense in which we also have people's blood on our hands if we're not faithful to preach the truth to them. I was... Uh, when I read these verses for the first time, I was really concerned because I had many friends who I'd never shared the gospel with. In fact, for some reason, my heart went to my junior high friends. And I, I knew I was a missionary kid. I knew the gospel. I understood it. I even believed it. But I didn't feel like sharing. And in Italy, it's kind of like elementary school, junior highest. All the kids are in the same class. Teachers move around. So you become like a family with these you know, these junior high classmates. And um, I had to move midway through our last year, you know, almost to the end of our last year. And so it was just cries, right? Because we were just so close. 
And so I went to this Bible school, and my mind just kept going to these kids I'd never shared the gospel with. I knew that they didn't know Jesus. And so I'm in tears thinking about this, and I'm like, I just wasn't faithful or transform me. I, you know, turn, turn me into somebody who loves to share the gospel. And, and, but they were undealt with. Well, what about those friends of mine? And send somebody to right my wrong, I said. And eventually over the years, Facebook started, uh, which can be bad, but in this case it was good. Um, and I was at the master's college, and I got a Facebook friendship from somebody, one of my classmates in Italy, and I was like shocked. So slowly, every single classmate was, was um, added. And so I got excited. Maybe, I, maybe God will use me to share the gospel with them. And so I, I, uh, one of the professors of the Master Seminary, Dr. Mayu, was going to preach in Italy. So I was going to go and help and my dad was organizing the conference, so I got to shadow Dr. Mayu and help him. And so <clears throat> it just so happened that they had organized a, a junior high reunion on the same weekend that I would be there in Italy. And they didn't know clue that I was coming. They didn't do it for me. But it was just random, right? It was random, right? And so I'm, I'm actually at dinner with Dr. Mayu. And, and he eats early. And Italians eat later, so I got to have di- two dinners that night. I ate dinner with him. <laughs> and then I was going to go there. And so here I am sharing the story with Dr. Mayu. And I always had this funny feeling because I was like, you know, this is an Old Testament verse, right? There's a prophet in the Old Testament. In fact, somebody preached this passage once. Somebody shouted out, this is the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with us. And so I shared that with Dr. Mayu. And he's like, this is completely a New Testament concept. Look at Acts chapter 18, he said. And he actually turned Good master's guy like he is, he turned me to Acts 18, and he showed it to me. And I'm almost done, I promise, Steve. Don't worry. Okay, almost done. And he said this. But they, but when they resisted, this is Paul preaching at Corinth, says, when they resisted and blasphemed. Verse 6 of chapter 18. says this, but when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I'll go to the Gentiles. He goes on to Acts chapter 20, verse 26. And he's giving his farewell to to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He was faithful. Whenever God gave him an opportunity to share, he shared it. And the only verse that this relates to is Ezekiel chapter 3. and 36, when he repeats the same message. And I don't know what being your blood, blood-filled hands means. Uh, you can't lose your salvation. That's obvious. 
There is a loss of reward in many ways, I'm sure. There's a, there's a deep sense in which God calls us to be faithful. And the New Testament does put it in a positive light. And the, what, the, what the New Testament says is, faithful are the feet, beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And you say, well, how do I clean my hands of blood? Well, all it takes is one step. All it takes is one step towards obedience and faithfulness. And your hands will go from being filled with blood to having beautiful feet. Just like that. And that was such a huge encouragement to me to know that all it takes is just being faithful when God gives us an opportunity. This is not just for your pastor. This isn't just for the elders. This isn't just for the evangelists. This is for you. This is for you who are sitting here. If you want to be a man... We talk about being manly this week, and we're going to talk about doctrine, theology, and all this stuff is really important. Without it, evangelism doesn't even make sense. You're not being a good evangelist, because guess what? The minute somebody comes to know Jesus, you've got to disciple them. And the only way to do that is through good doctrine and theology and good churches, right? But evangelism is the first step. You want to be a man? Then care about people's souls. I talk to people all the time who say, Pastor Jordan, please uh, pray for my... Uh, cousins or my brother my son's salvation or even my my friend you know or my family member whatever it is i say i'd love to pray for them and let me ask you a question though when's the last time you shared the gospel with them oh oh well um you know a couple christmases ago we had a deep discussion of abortion you know it's really good and i talked about how bad abortion is I'm like, okay. Oh, and last year we talked about how bad homosexuality is, how it's ruining America. I'm like, okay. Oh, and one time I talked to them about how Mary wasn't actually taken up into heaven. I'm like, okay. But what about the gospel? I'll pray that God would use you to share the gospel with them. And I'm usually more gentle than that. But that's the point. <laughs> I'm being excited today. Now, you haven't shared the gospel. If you haven't shared the gospel, you need to sit down with somebody. You know how cool it would be if, if you went to your neighbor and said, hey, we've been neighbors for many years, and I've never shared with you the most important message in the world. Would you let me have five minutes to share with you? Just give me five minutes. I'll even buy you. I'll make, I'll make a barbecue for you, whatever it is. I'll pay. You just listen for 10 minutes. Or you take your friend or your coworker and you say, can we get lunch today? I got something on my heart I got to share with you. You know what? Please forgive me. There's many years we've been coworkers and I've never shared this with you. Do you know how cool that would be? Do you know how good it would be for you to repent like that in front of them so that they understand the importance of this? All it takes is one step. All it takes is one step of obedience and faithfulness to turn your hands from filled with blood to having beautiful feet. There's a lot of talk about what it takes to be a man, what kind of a man, you know, the Gillette ad and all that, that stuff, right? I think everybody agrees that a, a man is a hero, right? He rescues people. You see movies where a man is somebody who goes and rescues people when he's probably going to die. He doesn't die. He saves everybody, right? Good movie. That's a hero. Well, do you want to talk about who, the, who a real hero is? you want to be a real hero? You know, you can save somebody from dying. You can jump on a grenade. That's wonderful. All you did was keep somebody from dying 30 years earlier than they will. It's wonderful. I love people who give their lives for people. It's wonderful. 
But all you did was save somebody from a premature death of 30 years or 40 years or 10 years or one year. You want to talk about being a real hero? How about you go to somebody and share the, the message that God has you to share with them? You can be a hero for eternity. Obviously, God is the ultimate hero. We're just mouthpieces, but we're called to be faithful. Let's pray. The only Father, it is overwhelming to hear these words, and I pray that you would um, help us to not feel guilty, help us to be encouraged. There's so much to be encouraged about, and uh, so many men in this room share faithfully. I'm so thankful for that. They're wonderful examples to the church, and just pray for an increased zeal. We, t- we just prayed for zeal in the song. We just sang for it. We want you to give it to us. Sometimes we don't think about the words we sing. We really want it. We want to be your faithful ambassadors. The only job that we can do on earth that we won't do in heaven is evangelism. That's what it's all about. It's about telling people about Christ, discipling them, helping them be baptized, grow in the church, become members. And faithfully go and duplicate themselves with somebody else and share the gospel with those around, uh, around them. That's what it's all about. So I pray for us. I pray for, for us to be excited, to be zealous for the truth, that we would be unashamed of you, that we would say, do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear you who can kill us and then send us to hell. You're the only one we want to fear. And so we want to be faithful. We know you're smarter than us. We know that The message you've prepared is the right message. So give us those words to say. Help us to be faithful to you. Lord, thank you for this incredible opportunity to share the gospel with the world. Thank you for these men. In Jesus' name, amen.